Hey, miserable bitches. We are back with another episode of Misery Manor. My name is Cody. Okay, my name is Emily. And before we get started, make sure you leave your manners at the door. Happy New Year to you. Oh my god, stop. Not the happy birthday song. Happy New Year! What is wrong with your eyes? I know. So you know like when you put lotion on your face and then you scratch your eye and it like gets into it? No. Do you not moisturize? I do, but I don't put half the bottle on my face like you do. I do. I do. uh, What's it called? White film? You know, like when you put... What do they call it on like beauty videos have you ever seen them where like it's like a white mask where you put like so much on there and they tell you not to do that well no it's just a lot because like some people don't want to clog your pores not mine you don't even have a pore and i'm not poor Mm -mm. jesus take the will in 2023 don't let it happen how speaking of how was your new year's mine was good it was just super low-key Super low key. You know what? As I get older, I forgot who I was talking to. Like, oh, the lady was doing my lips. She was like, What are your plans for the New Year's? And I was like, I think we're going over to a friend's house, like play games, like have food and stuff. And I was like, used to, like five years ago, even like, I don't know, in college, five years ago, um, that would seem so boring, right? But like when now when people are like, I want to go out. I'm like, I I mean, I kind of did. I had a cute dress I wanted to wear. Well, like, I want to go out sometimes, but like, if you're, if you want to like play games and shit at a house. Oh, yeah. Well, like, I always, well, I guess that's true. Yeah. I mean, I'd prefer to like be at home because then you can get like super drunk. Right. And then just like be with your friends and not give a shit and just like eat and do whatever. But like, speaking of, I don't know, what is it I told Lane? I was like, I woke up and not my pants, and they were inside out and backwards. Wait, not your pants? They were inside out and backwards. Wait, so you had somebody else's pants on? Yeah. Hmm. So I guess it did end okay. And Right, I would say. And they were inside out and backwards? Yeah. And had blood on them. They didn't have blood on them. <laughs> and don't even go where you're going to go next. Murder. Oh, I thought you were going to say poop. Period. Oh. No, um, no, but I love, well, not recently, but I just love being around like friends and like, you know, just like playing games and shit, but like, oh my God. So I was going to tell you earlier, I was going to tell you about our fucking game night. So it was me, Josh, Alyssa Edwards, her boyfriend, our friend Abby, Mm -hmm. uh, Allison and Jeremy. And we were all just like hanging around playing games, right? Yeah. (laughs) Well, I got a little drunk, maybe a little, you know, something else. And so we're playing Heads Up, which, have you not played that game before? You well, said I'm... Heads Up 7-Up, which is the game that you played where you put your head down yeah. and the thumb up. No, that's elementary game. Well, this whatever, game, your hair is still parted in the middle. This game is the one you download it, and so, you, like, you pick up. 
Oh, and you, and put, you put the on word, your forehead. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so, like, if it says giraffe, you explain to me what a giraffe is, right? Okay, well, see, we play catchphrase with some friends yeah, the other yeah, night. Have... So it's, like, similar concept. Right, exactly. But opposite. Like, yeah, you're yeah, getting... yeah. Yeah. Anyways, so keep in mind, I'm very juiced up. And the word is Neo, like the, the rapper, you know, Neo, you no. know, what I, you know what I said? Sporin. Neo Sporin. Oh. oh. And That's everybody. That's what I would have said. Everybody about fell out. Because I don't know who Neo is. I didn't either. I was like, Neo Sporin, 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 Sporin. And they were like, no, baby, it's a rapper. And I was like, I don't fucking know next. But I was so good at the game. It was hilarious. We tried to play Trivial Pursuit, and I was so bad. So bad. I get so competitive. Oh, they were like, name four presidents named James. And I was like, James. <laughs> oh, shit. I don't know any. Oh, there's like James Garfield. Like, all mm. these people. I'm like, Jimmy Carter, which I'm like, okay. Oh, yeah. I know who that is. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's that's hard, I especially after do... you're under the influence. Oh, of course. Well. Well, I couldn't get it sober. And I had so much cheese that night. It was amazing. So you were farting. It was a farty party. No, a cheese doesn't really make me fart. It was a poopy toopy. But it was like, there was this truffle goat cheese. Oh. Did you cry? Yeah, I was like dipping olives in it. It was Ew, so good. Uh, you fucking sick bitch. I like olives. Olives and fucking goat cheese. Olives and it was like, it was honey. Mm, I can't get with that. Honey, truffle, goat cheese truffle butter on your poop yeah i'm gonna do yeah. that next week Ooh! well i hope all of y'all have a fabulous new year's don't forget to write down your resolutions and what you want and stay true to it because yeah or just like i like your idea of like have accomplishments you want yeah like you don't necessarily have, to have like a new year's resolution just like have things you want to do yeah and things that you want to leave in the past, too. That was my favorite part. Yeah. I have a lot of stuff I want to leave in the past. Yeah, and write it down. And Stop hold, touching your eye. And hold yourself accountable. I need you to hold me accountable. I'll hold you, baby. All right, so let's get into this episode today, okay? So on today's episode of Misery Manor, we are going to be discussing the tragic murder of Rebecca Schaefer, mm -hmm. who was murdered by an obsessed fan. So, it's so scary. So 21-year-old model and actress Rebecca Schaefer was destined to be a star. And by 1989, she had appeared in several movies as well as TV shows. However, before she had a chance to make it in Hollywood, she was murdered by a deranged and stalker of a fan. The very day she was set to audition for a huge role in The Godfather 3... Her life was horrifically cut short in the blink of an eye. Rebecca Lucille Schaefer was born November 6, 1967 in Eugene, Oregon, to, a loving, to loving parents Dana and Benson Schaefer. Her mother, Dana, was a writer and a teacher who taught at Williamette University and Portland Community College, and her father, Benson, was a child psychologist. Oh, wow. So Rebecca 
was the only uh, child of the family, and she was their pride and their joy. And Rebecca was brought up in a very religious household. So the Schaefer family was dedicated to their Jewish faith, and at an early age, Rebecca even considered becoming a rabbi at one point. Yeah. Really? Your eye is so red. Speaking of eyes. Rabbi. So the Schaefer family was close and tight-niched and did everything together. So Rebecca even said at one point, quote, no matter where we are in the world, we are like a three-legged stool, insinuating that they needed each other to be able to work properly. So eventually, the family moved away from their hometown of Eugene, Oregon, and landed in the bigger city of Portland, Oregon. While there, Rebecca attended the prestigious Lincoln High School, where she excelled socially and academically. She was very popular, like me, and she was well-respected and very well-liked. She was noted for being uh, loving to everybody and helped out wherever she could. So on top of excelling in social aspects, she made exceptional grades. Okay. So growing up, people had always told Rebecca, like, you're so gorgeous. You're going to be a star. Like, you just have that it factor about you. And she was kind of like, oh, no, no, no. Like, you know, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, Like super modest. And she was like, I just, you know, I want to be a rabbi. Like, she was super (laughs) into her faith. However, at the age of 14, Rebecca was referred to a talent agency called Troutman Profiles Incorporated by her hairdresser, Rick Putro. So he saw that Rebecca had star power on top of being absolutely gorgeous and friendly. So it wasn't long before she was featured in department store catalogs and modeling outfits for the back to school season of that year. Mm. So Rebecca took a liking to modeling and was determined to progress and make a career out of it. Like she loved it. So the thoughts and dreams of being a rabbi were now a thing in the past. So, In August of 1984, at the age of 16, Rebecca finished an internship in New York City. So uh, Rebecca thrived in New York. She loved the fast-paced, work-hard, play-hard type of lifestyle on top of the endless opportunities the city has to offer, which, good for you, girl, because every time I visit New York, I'm, like, very humbled. I'm like, "Mm." Really? Yeah. I don't like it. I love New York. I like the bagels. Ooh. The bagels, honey. So instead of returning to Portland to complete her high school education, Rebecca decided to return to New York City to do modeling work where she signed up with one of the biggest modeling agencies in the world, Elite Model uh, Model Management, which... That's just, like, still a huge Huge. I'm glad you said that because I literally had, like, they're still one of the biggest. Are they the ones you started with in high school? So, do you remember that show, America's Next Top Model? That yeah. was one of the ones that they no, I know. signed them with. But I thought you started with someone in high school. I just can't remember. No, not was. them. But Everybody? I actually had note in here to be like, in the high school, remember I told you that me and Michelle would take photos of me, like, yeah. in my upstairs bedroom. And I'd be like, Michelle, like, video, like, and they'd be like, hey, like, we need professional photos of you. And Michelle, bless her heart. I love you, Michelle. I know you're listening to this. <laughs> she would take photos of me. And it's like, we would, like, hang up sheets and shit. I'd be like, okay, well, uh, edit all my teenage acne out. Like, I look... <laughs> Didn't you have black hair at one point? Black hair. I was, like, borderline anorexic. 
it was just like this? it was just it was a look and if i could find the photos i'll post them i somewhere. think i've seen one when you had really puffy hair yes probably so back to rebecca so she took her job in the big city very seriously and knew that she had to work hard if she wanted to make it in new york city right right so douglas ash who worked for rebecca at the modeling agency said quote she was very serious about what she did we had her in a room with six other models she was always very kind she was very good she never lost her friends or her perspective about life okay so off she went to new york city to live so while there rebecca attended the uh, so this is the name of the school. It's called the Professional Children's School while looking for modeling and acting jobs. So she went to school while she was looking for modeling and acting jobs. Mm-hmm. So Rebecca worked hard. And sure enough, not long after moving, she landed the role of Annie Barnes in the soap opera, soap opera One Life to Live. And she was thrilled. She also had a short-term role on the daytime soap opera of Gilding Light. It's called Guiding Light. Oh. There's no L in it. Do you watch it? I did. It was actually the very first televised soap opera. My grandmother, my aunt, my cousins, my mom, and I all mm. watched it. Yeah, I actually went. My sister's friend that she grew up with in high school, her uncle was on it, and we got to go to like the taping and like recording. Wait, so of maybe it. he knew Rebecca Schaefer. Um, when was this? Or oh, you know what? It probably carried on for a lot of seasons. She oh, was the was... very first season. Yeah, okay, so he probably wasn't on it until, like, the 90s. My grandma loved As the World Turns. Oh, so did my grandma. Oh, yeah. I watched all of that shit growing up, like, so inappropriate. Like, I know. Yeah. Crazy. Okay, so Rebecca stood at only 5 feet 7 inches, so she had trouble finding modeling jobs. Oh, due I was like, to her... that's, like, how tall I am. Right, due to her height, and she was turned down for a lot of jobs because she was 2 inches shorter than the average height of a fashion model at that time. So modeling was her first love, and she was determined to somehow make it work. So Rebecca, being a boss bitch, was like, I'm going to move to Japan, hoping she might have more luck there because, you know, the average height there for women is a lot shorter. So she thought maybe fashion there would be more geared towards her, right? However, she went there. No, they still (laughs) didn't want her to be a model. They still had height restrictions. And so she was like, you know what? I'm going to scratch modeling, and I'm going to focus full-time on acting so rebecca turned back to new york city um and also to make a little extra money she started waitressing on the side so rebecca though shortly she had no issues booking acting jobs and for the most part they were steady for rebecca so in 1986 rebecca won a small role in woody allen's comedy radio days but her character was edited out except for one scene was it like a background scene? Yeah, it was like a very like an extra at this point. So, but that didn't uh, tear her confidence down. So, well, yeah, she was already on like a soap opera, at right? That point, so, so now focusing full time on acting, it wasn't long before the eighteen year old landed her biggest part yet, which was a leading role in the CBS sitcom My Sister Sam. So, in the okay. show, Rebecca played part of the charming sixteen year old Patty Russell who goes to live with her sophisticated older sister, 29-year-old Sam Russell, who was played by Pam Dahmer, or Dauber, who was a successful photographer in San Francisco. Was she older than 16, though, at this point, right? Yeah, she was 18. Yeah. 
So Pam Dauber, her co-star, had actually lost her younger sister when she was 22. So Pam said that she was so thrilled to have Rebecca play the role of her younger sister and commented on how natural and comfortable it was. Pam said, quote, we kind of fell into this sisterly thing. I love her. Oh, because she didn't have any sister yeah, siblings. And, and yeah. This was like her sister. You know, they spend all day every day together. This is like her sister. I love that. So to play this role, though, Rebecca had to move from New York City to L.A. so that she could film the show on their set every day. That's like two huge moves. Right. So Pam actually let her live with her in her apartment. Okay. So Rebecca was not thrilled about moving to L.A., given how much she loved New York. However, she fit right in on the set of My Sister Sam, where her fellow castmates quickly became her extended family. So Rebecca made the most of her new life in L.A., and before she knew it, she uh, was having the time of her life. She was meeting new friends, having success on the show, and in 1987, Rebecca actually began dating 23-year-old Brad Siverling, who was a graduate student studying filmmaking at UCLA. So with all this new success, Rebecca never lost sight of who she was and how she was raised. So co-workers and friends of Rebecca even said in L.A. she was a homebody. Like, even though they're in the big city, she still wanted to stay home. So they said that she enjoyed being home, listening to music, reading books, and playing with her cat was her favorite thing. So Sue Cameron, a a former agent of Rebecca, told the E! True Hollywood Story in 1996, quote, She loved classical music. She liked going to Hollywood Bowl. She was very healthy. She would work out. She would eat right. She would go for walks. She never went to Hollywood parties. So she was just very dedicated to her work and while she was there. So, however, uh, before long, Rebecca was beginning to get more of a feel for the celebrity lifestyle. So for the first season of My Sister Sam, which originally aired in October of 1986, it was a hit from the start, and she had fans quickly from all over the world. So Rebecca was idolized by readers of Seventeen magazine. It was even featured on the cover of the March 1987 issue, which I'll post the photo of it. She looks absolutely gorgeous. She's so cute. Yeah. So with her newfound popularity and success, Rebecca Schaefer also began to receive a lot of fan mail. Okay. So Rebecca told Judy Crown, who was the hairstylist on the set of My Sister Sam, how excited she was about all of the fan mail. Like she was receiving like letters, flowers, teddy bears, like all sorts of Which, where? To her apartment? Yes. And so her... um, her hairstylist Judy was like, "Look," she said, "quote, this is so." Or sorry, Rebecca told her, "quote, this is so exciting. I can't believe I have all these fans all over the world. I get so many letters and gifts a day. This is amazing." And Judy, who had been around numerous stars, you know, all of her life, was like, "Look," she said, "quote, Rebecca, don't respond. Just don't respond. I don't have a good feeling about this. Just don't respond." People are very crazy. I think you need to just ignore it. And you're young. End quote. So Judy even told Television Academy Foundation in an interview that Rebecca was very beautiful, very sweet, but very naive. Yeah. So Judy was worried that even though she warned Rebecca about what could happen if she responds or engages, uh, that she still would. 
Just because this is so new to her, right? Is there anything like of what her parents say about mm-hmm. it? Not till the, after she's dead. Okay. Like I didn't know if she, like her she was like excited and like said something to her parents. Not that her I parents. could find. I mean, I'm sure she was close to her family, but not that I could find. Okay. So sadly, though, after two seasons of My Sister Sam, um, it was canceled due to ratings falling. Now, which is crazy, though, because after two seasons, so the first season, it was in the top 25 shows in the entire world. And after the second, the ratings had dropped down and they dropped it completely from the network. Hmm. So the final episode aired April 12th, 1988 in the case. uh, And like this was devastating to the whole staff, right? Because they had formed a close bond. Um, after just being on set together the whole time, right? Right, because, yeah. So later that year, however, Rebecca was cast in, this is the show, it's called Scenes from the Class Struggle in Beverly Hills. Have you heard of that? Mm-mm. So it was direct, uh, directed by Paul Bartel, and this film was, quote, a sexy, sophisticated black comedy. And the movie was different from anything Rebecca had done previously and brought new level to her startup. But it was a movie, like a film. Right. Okay. So now let's talk about Robert Bardo, who's a 19-year-old super fan of Rebecca Schaefer and ultimately is the one who killed her. Mm. So at the time of Rebecca filming this new movie, Robert had been obsessed with a girl named Samantha uh, Smith, who was a 10-year-old, 10-year-old American schoolgirl and peace activist. Samantha Smith was known for writing a letter to Soviet leader Yuri Antropov, um, hoping to better understand the tense Soviet-U.S. relations. Kind of like Greta, what's her name? Yeah. Greta, yeah. Ehrenberg. So at uh, Antropov's uh, request, Samantha even traveled to the Soviet Union to like talk with them. Okay. Meanwhile, Robert traveled to Samantha's hometown in Maine to try and find her. That's... So tragically, Samantha was killed in an airplane crash in August of 25, uh, 20, August 25th, 1985, like on our way there. So this was devastating to Robert because he was a fan of her, which, by the way, he's so young. and She's 10. He's 17 at this time. I said 19. 19 is the time that he mm-hmm. killed Rebecca. But at this time, he's 17. That's strange. Did he have siblings? I'm not sure. So, actually, yes. So, after that incident, Robert was put in foster care back in Arizona, but quickly ran away. Once he was caught, he was considered to have, like, severe mental, like, illnesses. So, he ended up in a psychiatric hospital, got better, and then in 1985, he was discharged and placed in another foster home where he ran away as well. Yeah, but what exactly does got better entail? Right. And then at this point, he's 18, so he can do what he wants. So he became a janitor at Jack in the Box. So after some time, Robert then turned his fascination and obsession to someone new, Rebecca Schaefer. So Robert. Yeah. So uh, (laughs) Rebecca. Robert began to write letters to Rebecca he became increasingly convinced that he was connecting with her on every single level. When every letter that he sent her, he felt like he was becoming more connected. Like he was writing. Was she responding? No, not at this point, but she did eventually. So he was writing letters to her. Like, this is how my day was. This is how I feel about you every single day. Right. Like she was getting so many. Right. Okay. Um, 
And he felt like the more that he sent, the more that he got obsessed and more in like love with her. So he wrote in a letter that he was just, quote, a sensitive guy and that he related to her character in My Sister Sam. So he knew nothing of Rebecca outside of her TV character, though. So yeah. he was just basing this off of what she was like on her character as My Sister Sam. Okay, so this is why I remember because he does not like how she was portrayed in the film. Well, we're about to get to the yeah. new film. So Robert got a letter back from Rebecca, and he was over the moon excited. In the letter she wrote, yours is one of the nicest I've ever got. And instantly, And instantly Robert felt more convinced that Rebecca reciprocated the same feelings he had towards her, towards him. So he held the letter up to his heart, smiled, and even kissed it. No, In his mind, Rebecca loved him as well. So after receiving this letter, Robert knew he had to go see Rebecca face to face. And it was the only thing missing to make their love happen for sure. So uh, so Robert caught a flight to Burbank, California from his home in Tucson, California. So once he landed... Tucson, California? Or, sorry, Tucson, Arizona. Well, I mean, sometimes they have like random... Right. So okay. once he landed, he quickly made his way to Warner Brothers Studios, clutching a bouquet of flowers and a giant teddy bear for his love, Rebecca. Mm-hmm. Once there, obviously Robert was met with security and instantly stopped from proceeding inside the building. So security uh, chief Jack Egger remembered Robert pleading with him to be let in, quote, I gotta see her. I love her. I just could, if I could just see her for just one minute, please. And Jack actually said he felt bad for Robert because all he saw was nothing more than a lovesick teen. So Jack told him, quote, I'm sorry, buddy. Can't let you in here. I'll tell Rebecca you stopped by and I can just take you back to your hotel. So I have hair in my mouth. So the two talked during the car ride and Jack told Robert it would be best for him to just go back to Tucson. And his chances of meeting Rebecca were basically slim to none. So defeated and upset, Robert said, Okay, I'll just return back home. Hmm. So Robert did turn back home. But his eagerness and desire to meet Rebecca were boiling up inside. So Robert returned to Burbank, California a month later, showed up to the Warner Brothers studio. But this time he wasn't carrying flowers and a teddy bear. Robert came with a knife. But luckily... he getting all this money for these plane tickets? Oh, he's a custodian. Well, I don't know. Like, he has a job, though. Right. That's what I mean. But luckily, he was prevented again from entering the studio. Did they know he had a weapon? No, but obviously they're not going to let fans just walk in. So, upon uh, Robert's second time to being turned around to the studio, he then returned home to Tucson, Arizona. He actually lost focus of Rebecca for a while as she was filming the show. And his obsession shifted toward pop singer uh, Madonna. Oh, and Gabby uh, Gibson, do you know who that is? Gabby Gibson? Debbie Gibson. Debbie Gibson? Uh-uh. Me neither. And Madonna. But Madonna was his main focus. So, however, be- before long, the movie that Rebecca had been filming, Scenes from the Class Struggle of Beverly Hills, re- was released in June 3rd, 1989. And no one was more anxious to see it than Robert. He had been waiting for this. However, after watching the film the usual warmth and affection that he felt for Rebecca for watching My Sister Sam had vanished and was replaced with resentment and pure disgust. So. 
what changed his mind? Well, in the film, Rebecca had to film an intimate scene featuring her in a bed with one of her male co-stars. So Robert saw this and he was enraged by the scene out of jealousy and decided that Rebecca should be punished for, quote, becoming another Hollywood whore. So seeing this scene only increased his desire to see Rebecca face to face because he was like, I've got to see her. If she could just meet me, she'll know that I'm the one and only for her. Again, in his mind, her character is who she is, right? Yeah, but I'm wondering if he's if he's already like formed this relationship with her, if it was like she was cheating on him. Like he feels that way, right? But he had to come up with a plan of action to do so. So Robert made his way to Anthony Agency, which is the Tucson private investigation firm. And when he showed up, he presented them a photo of Rebecca Schaefer. Robert told the private investigators that Rebecca was just an old friend of his and that he that they had corresponded from here and there. But he needed her current address so that they could uh, so that he could send a gift to her. Mm-hmm. I'd have been like, well, call her. If you're such good friends, call her. Well, yeah. And crazy enough, they believed his story and gave him access to her home address. That's... And Robert only had to pay $300 to this private investigator <laughs> that he got in touch with. Um, and they also contacted the California Department of Motor Vehicles because they have access to yeah. all that. And that's what that's who gave him the information of her address. That's, I feel like, super irresponsible of them, but maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. So Robert also attempted to buy a gun, too, but the owner of the shop refused to sell one to him because of Robert's mental illness. Because remember, he was in all the psychiatric mm-hmm. hospitals, but he called his brother, Edward, to buy one for him. And and Edward's like, look, I'll buy you one. I don't know why you need one. I'll buy you one, but you just have to promise me that you will only use it for target practice. Well, of course, Robert's like, yeah, oh, sure, of course. Like, that's exactly what I'll do. So he got the gun. So with address and gun in hand, Robert boarded a Greyhound bus and headed straight to L.A. So prior to boarding, he wrote a letter to his sister saying, quote, I have an obsession with the untainable. I have to eliminate what I cannot attain. So it's interesting. Was he in foster care with his siblings? No. Okay. So once he landed in L.A. with address in hand, Robert set out to Rebecca's home, and he was so excited. So when Robert entered the neighborhood that he was he believed to be Rebecca's, he would actually go up to the doors of like the people in the neighborhood and would like knock on it and be like, "Hey, sorry to bother you. See that home over there? Is that the home of Rebecca Schaefer? Like, I'm a friend of her from like a long time ago. Like, I'm just trying to like find her. Like, I missed her. Like, I just want to go see her." And they kind of like looked at him funny and they were like, yeah, that's her. It's over there. And like, these Why would come he forth. do that? Well, because he's cuckoo, but new, new. But like, if he knew where her house was, why was I he? I think he's just trying to like confirm it. Okay. So unfortunately, though, Rebecca was home. So she was eagerly and excitedly pacing her West Hollywood apartment. Because she was excited and, and a nervous wreck because she was awaiting the delivery of her script for The Godfather 3, mm-hmm. which she would be rehearsing and reading before the Academy Award winning director Francis Ford Coppola for the role. Coppola. Coppola for the role. So she was like fucking a nervous wreck and also well, super yeah, excited. It's a huge thing to be a part of. So Rebecca was going to be auditioning for the part of Mary 
Corlone. So Michael Corlone's daughter, which yes, is like the main, the main guy. Right? Mm-hmm. So which is the role if she got would surely change her career forever. Yes, it would have. So when the doorbell rang at 10, 15 a.m., Rebecca rushed on the stairs and it was said that she said, quote, I'm coming, I'm coming. Like, Robin yeah, could hear her. But she was not greeted by someone with her script like she was expecting. Instead, it was Robert Bardo in her doorstep, and he nervously said, quote, Hello, Rebecca. My name's Robert. I'm your biggest fan. I think I've wrote you a couple of times. So... Did he have flowers? So we had a number of things. So he was uh, actually carrying a bag containing the copy of the book, The Catcher in the Rye, as well as the autographed photo of Rebecca that she had given to him. That's and my a, favorite book, by the way, and my favorite author. And a card he had received from her in response to a letter that he had written to her. And I said this earlier, but just to reiterate, uh, the card that she wrote back to him said, quote, yours is one of the nicest I ever got. Yeah. So Rebecca obviously was disappointed that it was not the courier that she was expecting, but she smiled sweetly and told Robert, oh, thank you. I have to go, though. I'll, I'm going to be late for an appointment that I have. And then she said to him, quote, please take care. And then she shook his hand and closed the door. So after that short interaction, the two had on their doorstep, Robert walked to the diner and ate breakfast. Um, While there, he was reflecting on the encounter and he was like super excited. And then he was like, oh my God, I forgot to give her something. So this is all according to him. So he realized that he had forgotten about the compact disc and a letter that he had also wrote for Rebecca. So he decided he would return back to her apartment and give her these things. He was like, I have to go back. I can't leave without giving her these things. I must go back while she's there. So Is what, he just like walking around? Yeah, he's like okay. on foot in the diner. I mean, it's in LA, right? Yeah. Like everything's so close. So when he returned this time, Rebecca, and like he knocked on the door and Rebecca answered. She was not as patient and not as friendly as she was the first time. In fact, she was visibly annoyed and said, quote, this is according to a jailhouse interview, said, quote, um, she said he he said she had a cold look on her face um, and that she said, quote, you came to my door again. Hurry up. I don't have much time again. So Robert, now catching on to her annoyance and anger. Responded, quote, oh, okay. well, I forgot to give you something. But he did not hand her the items that he had originally came back to give her. Instead, he proceeded to pull out a handgun, pointed it at her, shot Rebecca right in the chest. And he said she grabbed her chest, fell to the floor and screamed in agony and pain. Why? Why? Why did you do this to me? So he told a psychiatrist later, quote, I was still fumbling around thinking I should just blow my head off and fall just right on top of her. No. Okay. But Robert just simply turned away and ran away, leaving Rebecca to bleed out on her doorstep. And just like that, the Hollywood star on the rise was killed in cold blood by her biggest fan. So Kenneth Newell, a neighbor of Rebecca who heard the gunshots, rushed out of his house to see what had happened and unfortunately and unfortunately it did not take him long to see that rebecca had been killed he said quote she was lying on the ground wearing nothing but a little black robe her eyes were open 
just staring into the distance. It looked to me as though she was already dead. But Rebecca was still alive. She had a little bit of life in her, and she was rushed to a nearby hospital to try and save her. But sadly, though, Rebecca Schaefer was pronounced dead at Cedar Sinai um, Medical Center less than a mile away from her home. So shortly after noon that day, Tom Noonan, a friend of Rebecca, heard the terrible news and tried to call Rebecca's mother that again was living in Oregon. But Dana, um, she didn't answer due to being caught up at work. So he left her a message to just please call him and that it was an emergency. So Dana shortly after called Tom back. And she, and she said in an Entertainment Weekly article in 2017, quote, I still remember how sunny my voice sounded when, I, when he picked up the phone. Then he said, and these words are still inscribed in my brain, Miss Schaefer, I have terrible news. This morning, Rebecca was shot and killed. So after getting this news, Dana was like, what? No, 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 no. This can't be. Please, God. No, 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 no. So Dana quickly called the hospital that she was told she was at. But they wouldn't confirm over the phone anything other than, quote, a woman had been admitted and she is now dead. So Dana said, quote, at that point, I I knew. She said, then the detective called and I knew it was all over. My baby was dead. That's so sad. So going back to Robert. So the day after Robert was uh, Robert murdered Rebecca, he was located back in Tucson attempting to kill himself by running in and out of traffic. He was yelling, I killed Rebecca Schaefer! I killed Rebecca Schaefer! Okay. And people were like, wow, we got a lunatic on our fucking hands. So authorities in Tucson arrested Robert and held him on a $1 million bail. Okay. They contacted the LAPD and told them that they were holding Robert John Bardo and faxed a photo over saying that they believed that he might be the one who killed Rebecca Shaver. So once receiving the photo, Robert, LAPD showed the photo to witnesses who had come forward saying that they had been approached by me and asking where Rebecca Schaefer um, lived the morning that she was murdered. Because remember, he was going door to door. Right. So the witnesses confirmed that with LAPD that the photo was the exact man who had came up to them. Not to mention, Robert didn't exactly turn himself in, but he was screaming, I killed Rebecca Schaefer in Mm -hmm. traffic. So they were kind of like, you know what, this is, we're just going to put two and two together. So to further uh, solidify that they had the right guy, just a few blocks from Rebecca's home, the LAPD found a yellow shirt, a gun holster, and a copy of The Catcher in the Rye. LAPD also received a phone call from a Tennessee Highway Patrol officer who informed them that Robert's sister had received a phone call from her brother the morning of the shooting. On the phone call, Robert told her that he was one and a half blocks away from Rebecca's apartment. What about the letter you sent her? Right. Oh, wait. Maybe I hadn't gotten it Oh, yeah. Oh, sent to Rebecca? Yeah. No, no, no. Sent to his sister. I thought he sent his sister one. Oh, he did, yes. So at the trial, though, uh, Robert Bardo's public defender, Stephen Galindo, argued that John was incapable of planning the murder due to his severe mental illness. So Robert's brother, Edward, added in court that his brother had spent a number of years in a psychiatric hospital when he was younger, further suggesting that Robert was mentally unstable and that should that should be considered when sentencing him. 
So Robert's public defender told the court, quote, Rebecca Schaefer is a victim in the true sense of the word. But at the same time, Robert Bardo is also a victim, a victim of parental neglect and a mental health system which failed to provide the treatment he needed. Dr. Park Dietz, a forensic psychiatrist, interviewed Robert and Robert told him, quote, there was something very special about Rebecca and I just couldn't let go of her. Well, you never had her. How about that? So Robert also explained to the psychiatrist that he identified with Mark David Chapman, who is John Lennon's killer. Who also had the catcher catcher in the the rye. Yep, that's what I put. Um, When they killed their victim. So Robert also told the psychiatrist that the song Exit by U2 gave him the idea to kill Rebecca Schaefer and that the song just did something to him. Okay. So during the trial, they played the song for the jury and and John was instantly transformed by the music. They said he sang, tapped his feet, played drums on his knees, closed his eyes, and and even bobbed his head to the beat. Okay. So after the interview with Robert, Dr. Park Dietz, the psychiatrist, testified that though Robert was in fact schizophrenic since childhood, he was not legally insane. So prosecuting Robert's trial was Marcia Clark, which I don't know if that name rings a bell, does Marcia it? Marcia Clark? Marcia? Yeah. Does that ring OJ a bell? O.J. Simpson? Yes. That was the person who pro- um, prosecuted O.J. Simpson. So she argued that Robert could not possibly be insane, given that he had stalked Rebecca for three straight years before going on to murder her. Um, she said this murder was planned and calculated. So... Judge Dino Fulgono sided with the prosecution team, and on October 29, 1991, Robert was convicted to first-degree murder. He was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. So today, Robert Bardo is currently incarcerated at Avenal State Prison in California. It is reported that in prison, Robert's fascination with celebrities and stars continues, He spends much of his time drawing celebrities such as Taylor Swift, Miley Cyrus, as well as John Wayne Gacy and the Chucky doll. And I have a photo of them. Do you want to see? I would think he would be like obsessed with like the Kardashians. Oh, no, baby. Look at this photo of Taylor Swift. Oh, okay. (laughs) She's probably pissed if she ever saw that. So, um, in, oh, oh, and they're also available for purchase online. I don't know how, but they are. Are there more pictures I can see? I'll show you. But I'll post some. There's like Chucky. There's Miley Cyrus. There's a lot of stars that I don't know that he's obsessed with. So um, even though he can be seen drawing and reading, his time in jail has not been rainbows and butterflies. He actually suffered serious injuries in 2007 when a fellow inmate stabbed him 11 times at Mule Creek State Prison, but he lived. Of course. So at the time of her death, Rebecca was dating director Brad Siberling. Her death influenced his 2002 film, Moonlight Mile, which was about a man's grief after his fiance was murdered. Mm. So shortly after Rebecca's death, Pam Dauber, who was her co-star, um, and my sister, uh, Sam. Yeah, and like also, sister. Yeah, and her co-stars, Joel Brooks. David Naughton and Henry O'Hara filmed a public service announcement for the Center of Preventive uh, 
to prevent handgun violence in her honor. Although Rebecca's family and friends were devastated at her death, if anything positive came from Rebecca's death, it was the anti-stalking movement, which led to severe changes in the law. So in 1990, California passed the first anti-stalking law in the country and officially labeled stalking a crime. There was also a strong push from the Screen Actors Guild to protect personal information held by the DMV. California, where she lived, was the first state to restrict access to this information because of her. Right. In 1994, the Driver's uh, Privacy Protection Act was passed by Congress, which acquired every state to do the exact same. So today, Rebecca Schaefer is buried in um, Ahavi Solemn Cemetery in Portland, Oregon, where she is from. And at her funeral, over 200 people attended the service. So condolences were poured from many people whose lives were touched by Rebecca during her short time on Earth. Um, just to conclude, Rebecca's agent, Jonathan Howard, told the LA Times, quote, she didn't have an enemy in the world. She was one of the nicest people I've ever known. Sincere, honest, kind, and loving. She was a successful young actress on on the rise, getting job after job. I can't believe this has happened to her. It's really sad. Very sad. And like to be at your home where you feel safe. Like you what? should feel safe. You Waiting know? for the biggest opportunity of your life. Like everything that you've worked towards you're waiting for like any minute they could you know be delivering that script to you and instead you answer the door and it's someone who kills you yeah i never knew the part where he like had come back i didn't realize he had come right. back and done it i thought it was and part of me once. thinks like a lot of people think he came back because or he only shot her because he was mad like her her attitude but he i'm already like had no. the gun. but i'm like he already had the gun like i think he had and remember when he came back to Warner, Warner, Warner Brothers Studios and he already had a knife? Yeah. I'm like, you knew what he was doing. Yeah, 100%. So. And I think that the reason he went to the gun route was because if you have a knife, you have to really be close. And he wasn't sure he was ever going to get that close to her. Right. Especially if she was, like, annoyed. Yeah. And so, just disappointing. R.I.P., babe. Well... I'm tired. Emily's tired. I'm tired. And yeah, we'll be back next week with another episode for you. Happy New Year. Set That'll those be my in- story. Set those in. Oh, will it? Mm-hmm. Set those intentions, honey. And hold yourself accountable. Bye. Bye.